It's Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Duke Kwan made this quote regarding Advent. This is what he said. He said, Advent is not four weeks of Christmas. It is rather a season of hopeful aching and watchful waiting amidst the very conditions, depravity, disease, division, despair, and death that made Christmas necessary at all. And what a great reminder to us of what Advent actually is. And you know, if you're, if you're like me, I, I love all the stuff that comes with Christmas. Um, I, I, I love some of the commerciality of Christmas. Um, it's fun for me. It was a part of my tradition growing up. But I think a lot of times, um, even as we're grasping to remember why Christ came and to fill our hearts with the true meaning of Christmas, um, a lot of it, because it's something that has become so routine in our lives, it can just kind of go in one ear and out the other, just kind of pass us by. And what Duke Kwan here is saying is let's remember the very conditions that are in place within our own heart and within our own soul, which made it why Christ had to come at all. And I think this year, oh my gosh, I mean, do we need anything more than that to understand that we live in a world that has fallen? We live in a world that has been ravaged by sin and we see it clearly, especially when we see people suffering and when we see people uh, sick or we see people that are victims to injustice. And we've seen that almost all year. Um, and so what we wanna ask this morning is what is the heart of Jesus in all of this? I mean, coming out of the year that we've had, and by the way, going into the unknown of a year ahead, this might be the most important question for us to answer which is what is the heart of Jesus? Because I really don't need to tell you that this year has been just a barrage of disappointment, of confusion. For some of us, it's just been outrage. For most of us, it's been filled with sorrow. And yet it's in the valley of those emotional realities that we as the church, that we want to seek the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus, the person who John describes as the word who became flesh, which we learn in the gospel is the one who is named Emmanuel, which means God with us. So this morning and for the next four weeks of Advent, we want to ask this question, what would be most helpful for us to learn about Jesus? And what does Jesus tell us about his heart that our own heart has so much trouble receiving and so much trouble believing? So we're gonna spend, like I said, the next few Sundays exploring the heart of Jesus for sinners and sufferers just like you, just like me. And what we're gonna to learn today is that one of the ways that Jesus describes himself and his own heart is that he is gentle and he is lowly. And look what it says in Matthew 11, verse 28. This is Jesus speaking and he says this, come to me, he says, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We just sang that when we sang, come ye sinner. And then in verse 29, it says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that is God's word for us this morning. And the first thing we learn from Jesus about what he wants us to know about his heart is that he is gentle. 
And when Jesus uses the word gentle to describe himself, what he's telling us is that his character is meek and it is humble toward us. And in fact, we get, a, we get a unique picture of this when we go to Philippians 2, when the Apostle Paul tells us this really interesting thing about Jesus. And he says, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And then Paul goes on to say, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, this doesn't mean that, that Jesus lowered himself to the point that he wasn't God anymore, but he gave up some of the privileges and the rights that come with being the second person of the Trinity to come to us, to humble himself, to condescend so that he could be obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, this Jesus that we're talking about is one who moves toward you. He moves towards you in meekness and humility. Maybe that's hard for you to grasp given the year that you've had this year. But remember what Jesus says about himself, that he is gentle. This is not mad and harsh Jesus, which by the way may be how you characterize him in light of your own shortcomings, in light of your own sin, in light of the way that you view yourself. It's kind of like when you show up for work on a Monday morning to an unhappy boss because, you know, you just drop the ball on Friday and you're anticipating the person that you're going to meet who is going to be unhappy with you, who's going to maybe be harsh with you, who's going to remind you once again that you blew it without realizing it, we can imagine Jesus as our unhappy boss. But contrary to our own misconceptions, the most natural posture of Jesus here, according to Jesus, is that he's gentle. So in the same way that, that you will at times move gently towards someone you love who is maybe fragile or fearful or in a place of vulnerability, we see that Jesus leads with gentleness towards you in this way at all times. His first inclination isn't to snap at you in exasperation or throw his hands in the air at you in impatience. He comes to you in the same manner that he came down to the earth which was as a humble savior, born to poor, humble parents in a messy, humble stable, visited by lowly, humble shepherds. This is the person who is gentle towards you. The Old Testament prophet Zechariah in chapter nine of his, of his book says this, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you, Zechariah said in his prophecy. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the God that was prophesied to come to us, which is why we're celebrating Advent right now, was prophesied to come to us as a humble, gentle, and meek person. 
And really, we, we could compare his gentleness to that of like a, a humble shepherd, one who cares for the sheep he loves. And not even when they bite and they go astray, but especially when they bite and when they go astray. Have you ever thought of Jesus that way? Have you ever let yourself imagine this about Jesus? Because he's saying this, my gentle presence is an invitation to learn from me and to let me lead you to lead you beside still waters, to make you lie down in green pastures like David the psalmist wrote. What Jesus is saying to you this morning, to me this morning, to us on every morning of every year, regardless of the situation and the circumstance or the place that you find yourself, is that he moves you, he moves towards you with gentleness. He is gentle. And secondly, from Matthew 11, we learn that he is lowly. I am gentle and I am lowly. Dane Ortland, he describes this word lowliness as being uh, accessible. So when you see lowly, think of the word accessible. Do you think of Jesus as accessible? And we know that access is a word that we use a lot now, isn't it? It's it's a word that's critical for us. For as much as our lives are lived online, man, access is everything. Like if I can't log into my Prime account, um, how, am I, how am I gonna get my free shipping? How will I get my deliveries? How will I get my music? How will I live, right? We need access. In fact, we, we love access. I love it when I go to a website and it remembers my password. Uh, and, and of course, I'm equally as offended and annoyed when it requests, requests me to, to, to type it in. How dare you not remember me, oh computer. But we live for access. How great does it feel when you get an email or a phone number or an extension that gets you right to the person that you need to get a hold of. We feel like we've conquered something. Like, yes, I'm getting to the place and the person that's going to help me get to where I need to go. And Jesus is saying, this is the kind of access you have to me. And what's most interesting about this kind of access we have to Jesus is that the only password required is our heavy laden hearts. Here's the thing. It's your burden that qualifies you to come to him to receive the unburdening that he is so eager to give. It's your labored heart that brings you to the lowly accessible heart of Jesus. Like that's what you have to bring. That's what you were born to bring to him, to find your way into his presence. You don't need money. You don't need status. You don't need to get your life all figured out. You don't need just a little more time to pay off your debts. 
You don't need to work through some issues. You don't need to get to a better place. You don't need to shed a few pounds, though that is always nice. You don't even need a pastor or a priest to get your foot in the door with Jesus. What did we just sing a minute ago? All the fitness he requires is to see and to feel your need of him. Come to me, Jesus says. I am accessible. I am lowly. And then he says, my desire for you is rest. So he is gentle and meek and humble. He's lowly and accessible. And then it tells us that his desire for us, his desire for you is rest. Besides your doctor, at certain times in your life, there are probably very few people whose main desire for you is your rest. And notice that of all the things Jesus could have said that he desired for you, he lets you in on his deepest desire. He could have said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you some tools to make the job a whole lot easier. And in fact, I would imagine that that is likely the default thinking we have if we think about what Jesus actually desires for us. I was actually with someone the other day who said, well, Ronnie, God helps those who help themselves. And it's funny because that's been said to me at different times in my life. And it, and it always, there's a part of that line that sounds right. You know what I'm saying? Um, but the problem with that line, God helps those who help themselves, besides it being completely wrong and completely against everything scripture tells us to be true, is that it gives us way too much credit, right? It immediately takes the focus off of Jesus and his desire for us and puts our destiny and our desires back into our hands, back into our heads, back into our hearts, right? It's like you're steering the ship and if you get a little off course, Jesus will reach down and just get you back on course. I mean, as long as I'm steering my ship, I'm happy to let Jesus, uh, you know, lend a hand and get me back on track. But what a sad view of Jesus. What an inaccurate view of Jesus, who is the God who helps those who finally see that they can't help themselves. And by the way, they never could. If that's how we see Jesus as the administrative assistant of our lives, we will live in denial of his truest desire for us, which is, according to Jesus, our rest. I will give you rest, Jesus says. I mean, imagine the creator of the universe looking at you with his humble and accessible eyes. Looking at you all mired down with all this impossibly weighty guilt, all this unrelenting anxiety, and his greatest desire for you is to give you rest. And then maybe you wonder, how can this possibly be true? Is that really what it is? 
Can this possibly be true? Doesn't he want me to keep his law, Ronnie? Doesn't he want me to obey his words, to do unto others what I would have them do unto me? And of course, the answer is yes. But before you can do any of that, he calls you to receive and to respond to his words with a heart that has found rest for your weary, sin-heavy soul. Because anything less than that, it leads us to a lesser Jesus, one who is mean and harsh at worst and largely uninvolved and uninterested at best. But what we learn about Jesus from Jesus is that he is gentle, he is humble, he is lowly, he is accessible, and his desire for you is to find the rest in him that only he can provide that hits against all of the other restful people, places, and things that in our flesh and in our sin we tend to bend. But imagine the creator of the universe coming here so that you would find rest, so that you would find freedom from sin, that you would have freedom to live as God has intended and made us to live, which is before the face of God, our creator, with joy, with hope, with peace, with assurance that everything he accomplished was for the very purpose of us finding rest from that weight, that anxiety, and that anvil of life that crushes us. He is gentle, he is lowly, his desire is rest. So at the end here, Jesus lays out two ways for us to have and experience his gentle and lowly heart that desires a rest. The first one is this, he says, come to me. It's invitational, right? It's kind of what we do every Sunday morning when we start our worship service. We have a call to worship and it essentially is just saying, come to me. It's like God saying, come to me, do the thing I created you to do. Do the thing that is going to give you all of the rest, all of the joy, all of the peace that I have for you. Now, it doesn't mean we experience all of that. This is not a pros prosperity gospel message, right? We would reject that line of thinking that says, man, if we just do that, we're never going to experience any pain. But Jesus is invitational in that he is always drawing us near the place that we are going to experience that in the fullest way we are able to on this earth before we spend uh, eternity in glory with him. He says, come to me. He offers a guaranteed rest for those that go to him. Have you ever been on a vacation that pr the promised rest Vacation, you just planned out, man, we're going to go here, we're going to do this, we're going to have all this downtime and fun time, and it turned out to be like the least restful vacation that you had. It turned out to be anything but. It's different, Jesus says, with him who's inviting you to come to him. He offers a guaranteed rest for your soul. And he says to experience this guaranteed rest means that we need to go to the source of where all rest is found. Jesus is beckoning you and me 
this morning to come close to his humble and to his accessible self. And of course, because he's beckoning us from where we are to his humble and accessible self, it means that there are other sources that are beckoning you at the same time. There are people and places and things that promise rest and strangely might even feel like rest and even reflect some of the rest that you find in Jesus momentarily. But if you treat them, these things, these people, these places, as the sole source of all the rest you desire, you'll eventually be brought under the heavy hand of their dictatorship. Because what happens is that anything that we try to find some sense of fulfillment and rest in that's not God just becomes our God. And those gods are not gentle. Those gods are not lowly and accessible. And those gods don't desire your rest the way Jesus the King does. That's what happens when you rely on something to deliver on something they're not able to deliver on. So this last summer I have this uh, sort of this studio slash office space behind my house that I, that I kind of got back into shape. And um, one of the things that I, I kept wanting to do that I didn't get to do was to put some, uh, some air conditioning in the space. You know, for that, you know, two weeks out of the year that it actually gets hot in Ohio, I would like a little air conditioning. Um, and so what I did was um, I got this little portable uh, air conditioning unit that got all these great reviews on Amazon. And so I, I ordered this thing just thinking, man, I just, I just need something to give me a little relief. I get, got the thing in the mail. It was literally like, the, it was like the size of a Rubik's cube you know, and it was, it was a little smaller than I was expecting, you know, it wasn't quite as advertised. And so I set this thing up in my office and I'm thinking, oh man, well, you know, everybody said, hey, you know, if you have these small spaces, you turn this thing on and man, 15 minutes later, the place is all cooled down and it's great. And that's what I did. And I gave it an hour and I walked back in and it didn't feel any different. And, um, and I sat down in my chair and I got to work. And I mean, I had to literally, I mean, to get any of that cool air, I had to literally like press my face up. I mean, I had to literally stick this thing down my shirt to get any of the, of the coolness, right? It just did not deliver what it was meant, what it was advertised to deliver. These things that we desire gentleness and lowliness and accessibility and rest from, they don't deliver Jesus says, come to me. And in John 6, 37, he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So when we go to Jesus with all of our sin and our stuff and our agony and our anxiety and our disappointment and our sin, all of our muckiness and our messiness, he says, come to me, and when you come to me, I will never cast you out. I know what I'm getting, Jesus said. I am pulling you close, and when you come to me, when I put my arms around you, I never let go. Jesus says, come to me. Why would we hesitate at such an invitation as that? And then the second thing he says is, take your yoke upon me. 
take your yoke upon me. Dane Ortland, again, this is what he says about this, this idea of taking the yoke of Jesus upon us. He says, his yoke is a non-yoke and his burden is a non-burden. What helium does to a balloon, Jesus' yoke does to his followers. We are, we are uh, what, is, what is the word B-U-O-Y-E-D, guys? How would I pronounce that? Boyd? Buoyed? Okay. We're not professional here. I needed some help with this word. We are buoyed along in life by his endless gentleness and supremely accessible lowliness. We are buoyed along. Now that I know the word, I just want to keep saying it, right? He doesn't simply meet us at our place of need. He lives in our place of need. He never tires of sweeping us into his tender embrace. It is his very heart. It is what gets him out of bed in the morning, if we can phrase it like that. Of course, this is why we open our Bibles every week, because our tendency is to think, man, Jesus must be like us. He must be like us. We had a demanding mom, so Jesus must be demanding. We have a spouse who has unrealistic expectations, so that must be how Jesus is going to treat us. We have a coworker who constantly humiliates us. We have a schoolmate who always puts us down around others. Why wouldn't Jesus do these things? If he knows me for who I really am, wouldn't it be worse? And yet we see here from the mouth of Jesus that taking the non-yoke of Jesus, taking the non-burden of Jesus upon us, it's simultaneously believing and receiving his invitation to rest, to run into the arms of the only person who has ever existed that can give you what he promised and without fail. And by the way, he doesn't send that invitation begrudgingly. He came into this world willingly to be crucified on a cross so that you could come to him in all of your unrest, all of your horrible deeds, all of your outstanding deeds, all of your self-righteous unbearableness and receive from him what he is most eager to give and to do, which is pull you close to him. And how wrongly have you maybe misunderstood Jesus? I was thinking about that in my own life this week. How wrongly do I continue to misunderstand Jesus? What would it look like for you to go to Jesus this morning and to take his non-yoke upon you this morning and, and to believe that he will give you the rest you long for as another very uncertain new year looms on the horizon. What we learn today is that he is meek, he is accessible, and his deepest desire for you is your rest. So the invitation is to go to him, to take his non-yoke and non-burden upon you today. 
pray that God would give us this desire now to do that. You bow your heads with me. Lord, we thank you that your son is gentle and humble and meek, that your son is lowly and accessible, that he desires our rest, that he humbled himself so that he could draw us close to him so that we could experience that same sense of humbling so that we could know, Lord, that we are accepted, that we are affirmed when we come to Jesus. All the fitness he requires is for us to see and feel our need for him. Well, if there was ever a year that we understand that need more fully, I don't know what it would be. But God, you've given us now the opportunity for the church to see that it is a desperate church, that it is a needy church, that it's a church that so easily splits at the seams over things that you have told us we should not be splitting at the seams over. And so God, we, we come to you acknowledging those things. We come to you now humbling ourselves because you came to us as a humble servant. Lord, help us to see those areas that we have been pushing against our approach to you. Lord, draw us in to you. Scripture tells us if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. You are near to us, Lord. So all of these things that have happened, that continue to happen, that cause us to become more deeply disillusioned, well, those aren't necessarily bad things because we don't want to live a life of illusion. We want to experience disillusion. We don't want to be fooled into being a church that is constantly chasing after those things that the world chases after and never finds what it's looking for. But Lord, we want to press into you. We want to acknowledge that you are the one that contains our hope and our joy and our happiness and the forgiveness that we need. So Lord, continue to draw us to you. Lord, for those who don't know you, for those who are listening to this message right now that have heard your word, that have heard the character and the heart of Jesus, I pray that you would meet them where they're at, that you would draw them to you, that you would cause them to humble themselves before you so that that anvil of anxiety and guilt and shame could be removed from their heart once and for all, and that they would acknowledge you as Lord and King, that they would find relief and peace and hope this Christmas season. And so Lord, we continue to pray for these things. We continue to pray for our country and our leaders and our community and our church family. Lord, you are the answer to the troubles that we face. You are the one that we need to be drawing close to in hope. And I pray that we would do that as much as we draw close to each other and extend that hope and extend that love and extend that care and that compassion that we find in you. Lord, let us be a church like we've been learning in James that doesn't just say we are ones who hold to this faith, but we live out this faith 
indeed as well. So God, give us comfort today and let us live in the hope that lies in our hearts and that it reflects the heart of Jesus, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.